This is episode number 256, Maximizing Opportunity in Any Situation, with Olympian and World Tour Cyclist Leah Kirschman. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. So for confidence specifically, I find even having a confidence script is a useful tool. So I'll just even have a list of things maybe that I'm proud of accomplishing or where I really felt I pushed my limits and I had great achievements. And just like reading that list can be a reminder that I've done it before so I can do it again. I'm so grateful to be hanging out with you today. And if you are enjoying the show, please don't keep me a secret and tell your friends about it. That's really the best way for the show to grow. And you could also support us by leaving a five-star rating or whatever you feel appropriate on Apple Podcasts. Things have been a little bit hectic here for me as we moved to Squamish. My husband still has to go back to Kelowna for work once a month. So I solo parent with a one-year-old once a month for a week. That is a masterclass in time management, in learning how to let things go, and also learning the impact of very small marginal gains that you do every single day. And consistency is something I talk about all the time and showing up. And that is something that I remind myself of every day whenever I'm trying to train during nap time, record podcast intros like these during nap time, cook, take care of the little guy, take care of myself, and It can feel stressful sometimes whenever life feels chaotic. Things I do is I practice self-compassion, tell myself I'm doing my best and that what I'm doing is enough. Also reminding myself that sometimes that hectic feeling is not permanent. So while you might not be doing some solo parenting of a toddler, if you are experiencing any of these feelings of hecticness or overwhelm, just remember that taking care of yourself is important. Going to sleep instead of watching that extra Netflix show, which is something that I always have to remind myself of, Sleep is so important. And just giving yourself a dang break and realizing that it's not going to last forever. If you like tips like that and just topics that are interesting that apply to regular life about motivation and mindset, I write in my newsletter every week at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. I really appreciate your feedback and I'm so happy that those actionable tips are making your life better. And I also send out the podcast of the week. So you can sign up at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. I really loved getting to talk to this week's guest. Leah Kirschman is a professional cyclist from Winnipeg, Manitoba, who races for Team DSM and the Canadian National Cycling Team. She represented Team Canada at the 2016 Olympic Games and is training for the upcoming 2021 Olympic Games in Tokyo. And that's just around the corner, folks. So I wanted to let this podcast come out right before then so that you can cheer her on in the Olympic Games. How do you prepare for the Olympic Games that has already been postponed and surrounded with so much uncertainty? Well, Leah and I tackle that question as well as many others. We talk about Leah's path to cycling, confidence, motivation, nutrition, and so much more. In addition to Leah's successes as a professional cyclist, she graduated with a Bachelor's of Art and Sciences with a focus on nutrition and public health. She's passionate about how diet and exercise can be catalysts for a happier and healthier society. And I'm so glad that talks about nutrition and eating and health is at the forefront of the conversation these days, because a lot of times for athletes, especially for cyclists, it's about being smaller or being lighter. And that's not always the case. There is some benefit to being light on the climbs, but really it's about being healthy first. Leah brings her passions for sport and giving back as a real, relatable, empowering, active leader. That's the acronym. Role model for fast and female Fast and Female is a charity on a mission to keep self-identified girls aged 8 to 14 healthy and active in sports. And that's a huge part of the narrative these days is girls drop out of sports for some reason at those young ages. She is also the head of the Global Relay Bridge the Gap Mentorship Program, a nonprofit organization that provides support for riders transitioning from junior to professional level of the sport. And I think that that's so great that she is doing that because I always wonder what happens to those kids that had such great support as juniors, but then once they're on their own, they might not have the same level of support or know how to get that level of support and what happens to them. We talked about a number of things on today's show, but we talked about the path to professional road cycling, which hasn't been talked about on the show before, especially for females. 
what the preparation looks like for something like the Giro or the Tour de France. And she does those races. It's awesome that there are those races for women now. We talk about the role of nutrition and mental health, getting selected for the Olympics, how to ride the roller coaster of uncertainty, and how endurance sports relate to confidence. And if you are interested in mental skills training like this, she spends a lot of time training her mind and all the top performers that I've talked to have mental skills training as a priority in their training. You can check out my Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy. I put this together because I wanted all of the best mental skills training that has helped me thrive in the hardest races across the world to not only do well, but to actually enjoy myself even when it's really hard. And to answer a lot of the questions people ask me, like, how do I not quit? How do I feel more confident on race day? How can I practice optimism? Those things are all in there and more. We also go into goal setting, intrinsic motivation, and why you should be focused on intrinsic motivation. So you can find the Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy in two places, on my website, sonyalooney.com, and just click Mindset Academy in the menu, or go to moxieandgrit.com, and there's also a Mindset Academy there. And I'm so grateful that you guys are taking this course, and I'm so happy that it's making such a big difference for you. Optimizing your mind is one thing, but also optimizing your body is another. And that's where Inside Tracker has played such a big role in my performance. Inside Tracker is a great sponsor of this show, and I'm so glad that they're with us because they're offering you 25% off to optimize your body. Well, what is Inside Tracker? They're a company that allows you to get your blood drawn. They can come to your house and do it, or you can go to a bunch of different labs in the United States. And they have a very narrow range on a lot of different biomarkers for athletes. So a lot of times when you go to the doctor and they do a CBC or a blood workup on you, it's basically to make sure that you're within a health range, not an athletic health range. So I like Inside Tracker because they have over 30 biomarkers and they recommend lifestyle or even supplementation to help make sure that you're within the range that you can be at your best. I just did a test about a week ago and got some interesting results back that I'll be sharing on my social media. If you haven't followed me on Instagram and you're interested, it's Sonia Looney on Instagram at S-O-N-Y-A-L-O-O-N-E-Y. So go to InsideTracker.com slash Sonia to get 25% off. I highly recommend checking it out. And I think that you'll be really excited with all the things that you're going to learn about yourself. And speaking of learning, let's get into this week's episode with Leah Kirschman. Leah, welcome to the show. No, thanks so much for having me. It was so fun digging into your career and also learning more about the Women's World Tour, which I feel like still doesn't, well, it doesn't get anywhere near what the men's get. So can you briefly describe what the Women's World Tour consists of? Sure. Yeah. So I compete as a a professional road cyclist on one of the biggest teams in the world, Team DSM. And yeah, it's the, the Women's World Tour really consists of, you know, it's an international calendar of racing where all the biggest teams compete against each other. There's different levels within the racing. So now we have, you know, the World Tour races are the highest level. And that's really where, you know, all the best teams will be, the, the fastest riders. And then there's some different steps and levels of racing that help with development and yeah, they have different different requirements based on what the ranking is of the race. Yeah, so I'm going to go a few steps back and start with how you got into cycling. I started when I was 13 years old. I'm from Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba in Canada. It's known for really cold winters <laughs> and it's nice in the summer. But I actually started as a cross-country skier because you need to have something to do in the winter. And that's really what my family did as a sport. And then how I found cycling was a lot of the endurance community is the same, but the skiers also cycle. And I had um, some friends on the team and they thought, you know, they suggested to take up cycling maybe as cross-training for the summer months. So I gave it a chance. I went to, it's this grassroots youth program called Kids of Mud. Um, where they have mountain bike like skill sessions and races every week. And yeah, I did like one race and I got to go in the mud and I was beating some of the boys and thought that was really cool. So I was really quickly hooked on racing after that. So yeah, started mountain biking and then got into road cycling pretty quickly. And the provincial coach at the time 
I was always trying to recruit more girls in the sport because there's just not that many of us. <laughs> so he got me on a road bike and I started racing with that as well at um, 15. So I started quite young. What did you like about endurance sports at that age? It's a good question. Um, I think I found, so I really tried all kinds of sports growing up. Like my parents were great and then put me and my siblings and let us try like really any sport we wanted. So I was really exposed to a lot of different things, but I think I just found I excelled in endurance at quite a young age. And so then those kinds of events are what I liked and I was kind of drawn to. Yeah, I think just being being good at endurance was really what drew me in at first. Yeah, when you're good at something, it makes it more fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so exactly. I, I think that there's something fascinating about endurance sports. And I'm sure people have had this experience outside of endurance sports, but it seems that endurance sports really give people confidence in themselves. Was there a time or a moment where you're like, yeah, the, like this, the stuff that I'm doing is really contributing to my confidence, both in my sport, but also in my life? Totally. Yeah. And this is one thing like I'm so grateful that I got involved with sports so young because I think the sport has really just grown my confidence in all areas of life. And especially quite young, like I'm still quite, I'm more quiet and more introverted. But when I was young, then I was even like extremely shy and extremely reserved. And I think it was through sport that helped me kind of it, it helped me connect more easily to other people and I think it helped me kind of find my voice and be more comfortable with speaking out about the things I care about and just and just confident in myself. If I can excel in sport then I, I can also excel in other areas in my life. And now you're you know you're an Olympian, you're going to Olympics again. How do you train your confidence now? It's also a good question. I think I'm very deliberate with how I try to prepare my mindset for races. So I've worked now, I think, 10 years now with a sports psychologist um, and have, yeah, come up, I think, with a, a good toolbox of different mental skills that I use, like approaching events. So for confidence specifically, I find even having like a, a confidence script is is a useful tool. So I'll just even have a list of things maybe that I'm proud of accomplishing or where I really felt I pushed my limits and I had great achievements. And just like reading that list can be a reminder that, you know, I've done it before so I can do it again. Yeah, that's one tool. That's nice. What are some other tools that you use just in general for your mental training? I guess personally, I think also... I'm trying to focus more on the recovery aspect and training my mind that way. So being, you know, on when I need to be on and then also switching off a bit more just because I think I, yeah, I'm a very driven athlete as a lot of us are, and it can be hard to actually switch off and get that needed recovery. So I have been trying to develop that, especially this year. And I am proud of doing much better, you know, developing the skills of, of shutting off and doing things like meditation more consistently. And I think that's, that's making a difference and helping me recover better. Yeah, it definitely takes confidence and courage to rest, especially when you're a driven person and you think that I'll just keep working harder and I'll just keep doing more and more. And that's going to help move the needle to success. But really the downtime, not only to rest your body, but like you said, using a practice like meditation or something else to rest your mind. Yeah, totally. And that's been a big lesson in my career as well. Because now I've been competing as a pro for, I think, a decade or something now. And I've had those periods of, yeah, of maybe working too hard and, and not recovering and being a little bit burned out and, and realizing now that like you, yeah, it's not always about training harder and driving yourself more. And sometimes the smartest thing you can do is actually accept like rest and that's going to make you better in the end and increase your longevity as an athlete. I have a hard question for you now. <laughs> How do you know when you need to rest? Yeah, that's super individual. And you get to, if you really pay attention and do a lot of reflection, then you learn to recognize the signs. So for myself, I think I, 
have learned to also separate like, okay, when, when should I feel tired? There is times in training where you should be fatigued. You're at the end of a really hard block and you it's on purpose that, you know, you're going to do this, you're going to recover and become even better. But then there's, yeah, there's that other fatigue that's like not, that's actually making you worse and you're just digging a hole. So for myself, I think, especially recognizing like, I think I recognize it in my mood a lot. <laughs> so if my body's tired, then my brain is tired. Yeah, when I just, um, if I just have like a really high perceived effort, if I if I just can't complete intervals that I know I'm capable of, or it feels way harder, then that's definitely a red flag for myself. Yeah, and it's so interesting. You know, you mentioned there is an amount of overreaching that you need to get faster, but that could be a fine line. So if you go over that line, then you just start digging a hole. And then there's the mental aspect of perceived exertion and mood, and then also the aspect of motivation, because sometimes, well, you know, especially as a professional cyclist, like you don't always want to go out and ride your bike. And I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth. I'm speaking for myself. I don't always want to go out and train <laughs> and knowing the difference of like when you're burned out versus when you need to overcome that and actually get out and keep going is a really hard thing to do. So like in terms of motivation, how have you, you know, worked on that for yourself, knowing when that feeling of I don't want to go is burnout. And when that feeling of I don't want to go is just like your motivator is a little bit down for the day. Yeah, it's, it is true that, yeah, even if I love riding my bike, but <laughs> yeah, there's some days that I'm going to be more motivated than others. And especially, you know, when the weather is bad and it's the winter and it's cold and you're alone, then those days are less motivating. But yeah, to tell the difference between the two, I think like having that feeling consistently maybe a lot of days in a row could be a sign that it that maybe this isn't just uh, you know you're not motivated for one day to do, do your training maybe this is like an indication of something bigger that would be the biggest one for me and also i think with motivation i always tell myself there's i'm sure you've heard the saying like mood follows action so if i'm not motivated one day then i'm always going to start the training and most of the time you know you get like 10 minutes in and and actually it's okay and and you realize like yeah you're you're you actually feel much better than you thought you did but you know if you if you do start you you get yourself out there and you're still feeling just not yourself and tired then that's also probably a sign that maybe you need to to back off a bit and and also talk with your coach and and get maybe an outside perspective would be helpful yeah i love the like for me one of my mantras is like showing up and because there's lots of days you just don't want to start but once you get started like you said you'll actually realize i actually feel pretty good today even though i felt like all this resistance to get going and I felt tired and I thought, how am I ever going to do this workout? But then you just start moving and then you realize, yeah, I can do this. But there are days where you should turn around and go home and rest too. And it's nuanced and it's about learning what's right for you. And it just takes practice of overdoing it. And then, you know, knowing that you've overdone it and then maybe not crossing that line the next time. Yeah, totally. And I think that personal experience and learning yourself is important and unfortunately, yeah, you might have to find that limit a few times, but then hopefully learn from it for the future and, and really just learn your body and, and how you should feel. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, you got into cycling as a teenager. What was your path up to becoming a professional? Because it's kind of different than mountain biking, like in road cycling, there's teams and things like that. And it seems like it'd be even harder to become a, a professional as a road racer. Mm -hmm. It is very different than mountain biking. And it is interesting because I, yeah, I was a mountain biker as a junior. So I have a little bit of experience in that world as well and, and did race one junior world. So oh, cool. I, still, I still love mountain biking. It's it's great training as well. But yeah, road is, is totally different, but I can give yeah some of my path you know, growing up. So yeah, as a teenager, I competed then in road and mountain and then I was also a cross-country skier still in the winter so definitely a multi-sport athlete and then when I was 18 I actually moved to Squamish to attend was to attend Quest University and also to be on the Callahan Valley ski team so out of high school I really wanted to continue sport but then also not compromise academics so yeah, this this brand new school was this. I went to 
the school in the second year. Um, oh, wow. It was totally brand new. Yeah, based on kind of a new model of education. So it was a really small school. So it was uh, exciting to join something totally new and actually get to play a part in actually, you know, shaping the school and building it. And yeah, and also live in Squamish and get all the great mountain biking while I was there. Yeah, I actually just moved um, to Squamish like two weeks ago. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I'm so jealous. when you want to come visit and go mountain biking with me. <laughs> oh, for sure. Okay, I will take you up on that offer. <laughs> yeah, and so it was a great opportunity to really join the, the BC um, cycling community as well. After my first year at university there, I decided I really needed to specialize because it's it's not realistic to do three sports and attend university full time. That's a lot. And so I decided on road cycling just because I saw, oh, I really liked the combination of both, you know, the tactics of being on a team and the physical part. And I just really enjoyed that part of it. So I wanted to give it a shot. And I joined a first a local team out of Vancouver, so Trek Red Trek, and did a lot of the local scene there and, and also in the northwestern US. And then I was actually there doing when I was guest riding at Cascade Cycling Classic when I got noticed by the pro team Colavita. I did well in the crit there and yeah, they, they contacted me and this was really how I got my my first contract for the next year. And so, yeah, I guess a lot, there isn't like a clear path of how you get on a team, but <laughs> it can't just be someone notices you and yeah. So then, yeah, 2011 was my first year racing full-time with Cola Vida Forno Diosolo at the time. And it was such a cool experience. Like the group of women on this team were such amazing mentors to me. And just, I learned so quickly and picked up so much about the sport and like I very short window of time and yeah just after that first year I really just loved racing as a pro and and then I moved on to um, opt-in pro cycling for four years and then yeah signed to my current team which was Liv Planter at the time has turned into Sunweb and then now is Team DSM so mm-hmm. that's wow. my my path to where I am yeah. And it, it, you, whenever you tell the story, it makes it sound easy, but I know for a fact that probably wasn't very easy. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. You know, whenever you tell a story and yeah, it's so simple, but of course there's a lot happens in, in like a decade of racing and <laughs> all of that. Was there ever a time that you wanted to quit where you're like, I don't know if this is going to work out or, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get on the team next year. Like, did you ever have any moments of adversity like that? Hmm. I would say not moments I wanted to quit, but I would say some of the toughest moments were were dealing with some burnout at some points and just not getting what I wanted physically out of myself and just not being able to perform how I wanted. Yeah, that those are some of the most frustrating times, I think. And then also dealing with some injuries. Some I've been fortunate I haven't had too crazy of injuries for how dangerous the sport is. But those can also be difficult to overcome if you've, if you've worked, you know, how it goes. You can work so long towards a goal, but then one crash could, you know, take that out as a, as a possibility or things like that can be frustrating in the sport. Yeah. And it, it seems like in road cycling, like the crashes most of the time are out of your control and it just happens. It's just part of what happens. And yeah, that'd be hard. Yeah, that is a difference with mountain biking. I noticed like mountain biking more often it's maybe something you did or yeah, you you might have caused a crash, but road it's a lot of the time, yeah, it could be completely not your fault. You just happen to be in the wrong spot and and something happens. So yeah, it's a domino effect. <laughs> I know a lot of people listening, you know, while they may not even race, they have been injured before or they, you know, maybe have come up short on a goal, what advice do you have for those people? Yeah, I think just from my personal experience of dealing with injuries, I would definitely say like, you know, use it, try to use it as an opportunity. So think like instead of what you've you've lost from this injury and what you can't do, try to change your mindset instead to what you can do. And maybe this has created a new opportunity. So for example, like with my my injuries, like a few times or a lot of times 
it's actually given me the chance to see more of my family because I'm not racing and I have to go recover. And so that's a gift. I actually get, get more quality time. And it's also been, I think, great to see like who really reaches out and wants to support you, even if you're like in that moment, it's it's really nice to to have that kind of support from your friends and your family. And yeah, looking, I would also say trying to work on, you know, different skills or maybe your weaknesses while you're injured is really helpful. Maybe you have to go to the gym a lot to rehab something and and it's an opportunity to become strong in a in a totally different way or like, I don't know, really get your core like at a super high level and I guess things like that. And and also actually training your mindset as well. So just thinking like when you do go back to racing, like what are things actually that you want to do better in races? What are things you want to do better in recovery or yeah, it's trying to, I guess, trying to see the whole thing as, as an, an opportunity to, to work on different skills. Yeah, that's such great advice because oftentimes people will ruminate on all the things that they can't do or why did this happen to me or how long is it going to be? And yeah, finding other things that you can do will help bring that that value because a lot of times people want to be achieving something or working towards something and they feel like an injury is they're just like full stop, but it doesn't have to be full stop. It could be different things that you can be working on. Mm-hmm. And also like, so many athletes are goal driven and want, you know, progress points as well. And so you can also try to turn your injury into something you work on. So, you know, are you doing your exercises every day? Um, are you trying to mark that progress? Then instead of it seeming like a never ending path, like you can actually look back and see, actually, you know, I put a lot of work in, I am making progress. So the women's zero, is it, Am I supposed to say women's Giro or just or just Giro? Because I, as a female, I'm like, ah, like why do, it should just be called Giro? But <laughs> there's there's like <laughs> the men's Giro, like it should be called men's Giro and women's Giro, not Giro and women's Giro. So anyway, I'm what what is it called? <laughs> um, it was the Giro Rosa, but it might have a slightly different name this year. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I would need to look it up. But I agree with you. Yeah, we we shouldn't have to say that if something is a woman's race. It's just it's also a bike race. But um, yeah. yeah, I'm getting ready for the Giro. <laughs> You're getting ready for the Giro. And what does preparation look like for a huge race like that? Yeah, there's a lot of preparation that goes into a stage race. I guess in my specific situation, we actually just raced at La Course for the Tour de France last week. And then we traveled to Italy and are now here just for, for training for a few days before the race. Yeah, I guess a lot of different things. So first, physically, you need to prepare for the demands of a stage race. Uh, the Giro is 10 days long. It's the longest race on the women's calendar. And it's quite demanding. There's This year, there's a mix of stages. So definitely some mountain, mountainous stages and, and flatter and hilly. There's And it starts with a team time trial. So first physically coming in and and getting that right. So you also want to be pretty well rested starting a 10 day race. Especially after Uh, doing La Course. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So we've been finding the balance this week of first recovering from the previous race and then but staying activated and and enough to then start another race. And then, yeah, all the other things. We do a lot of work, I guess, preparing and researching the stages that will come up and most of the races we won't see beforehand. We can't see the roads. So we'll use Google Earth or something like this to really like go in and see what's special about these races. Is there technical parts? What are the finishes like? We try to do all that as a team before we actually start the race. And we have been fortunate. We could do a recon of the team time trial since we're here for a few days. So we've at least had some practice on, on one of the courses for the race. And what about fueling? Like eating for stage racing is probably, well, at least in my experience, is one of the most important things that that you do before the race and during the race. Like what does your nutrition look like before and during the race? Yeah, it's a great question. And for stage racing, it's, it's so important because you need to get that recovery right to still be fresh on the 10th day. 
Um, and so for this race, I actually came up with a plan with um, one of our team dietitians with just a plan over overall fueling and what my targets are based on the different stages and the demands that that we'll face. So I guess, yeah, I have I have an idea, I guess, of the things that, that I like to say, start the day with for breakfast and the amounts that I'll take. And then for in the race specifically, our team helps us a lot as well. So one way we do it is we start with a plan and then afterwards we have, it's just an Excel spreadsheet with all the products we have. So we work with uh, Sanus as a, a sports nutrition brand. And then we just put in what we actually took in the race. And then you can compare, it calculates it and tells you actually, did you have enough or did you need more? And then you can also then, I like it. I like actually putting it in after the race and then reflecting, like, how do I feel? And then you can take that feedback to the next stage already. Think like, okay, I was a little bit empty in the last kilometer. I should probably take an extra gel tomorrow or something like this. And then, yeah, for recovery, the team also always has something right after the race for us. So usually a recovery drink and then we'll have a meal on the bus as we're going transferring to the next stage. And then, yeah, we're in Italy. So dinner is usually like pasta and chicken and some vegetables. So that's a pretty like broad, broad idea, I guess, of our nutrition. And is everyone finds like a slightly individual approach of say what they want to eat exactly within a race, um, which products they like, but we're all following like the same general guidelines. And I would definitely say like in stagers and then carbohydrates are also like probably the biggest focus of getting fueling yeah before during and after the race that's that's really what's going to help you race fast not necessarily in a race but like what's your favorite pre-ride food that you eat like do you have a go-to before training like i'm going to eat this and then every day or is it always different i think i switch it up a lot but for yeah my usual breakfast though is is like oats with yogurt banana berries maple syrup i always feel good if i eat that it's a safe breakfast and like when how scientific do you get just like when you're not in a race but when you're just training are you calculating your calories are you looking at the number of grams of carbohydrate that you're eating before you ride like or is it you just go off of feel yeah for myself I definitely don't calculate it all the time but I think I have worked with a lot of nutrition experts and just over the years of my career and and I have some background in nutrition and just interest myself and in learning more. So I guess my approach has also been to measure things for maybe short periods of time, just to learn like what is a serving size? What does, I don't know, 50 grams of carbs even look like? Like just once you measure it once, then you, you kind of know. And then for, I probably pay more attention, I think in, or the most attention and how much I'm getting during the rides and thinking like, okay, how many hours am I training and how many grams of carbs do I have in my pockets that, that I plan to eat in this training ride? That's probably the most, the most specific I get with measuring. And like on a training day, do you have a go-to recovery food? Is it, is it a drink? Is it like a go-to food? Yeah, that one probably changes more often. (laughs) I think just I'll do a lot of <laughs> whatever dinners leftovers were or yeah, eggs on toast are always good, avocado, hot sauce. Um, just always thinking like, yeah, I'm just looking for a good balance of enough carbohydrates, a source of protein, vegetables, and and some healthy fat. Like if I'm just thinking how can I creatively make meals around these, but yeah, we'll meet in these targets. Yeah. And, um, something I've heard you talk about and something that's just a big topic in general is, you know, looking at body mass versus performance. And also, you know, sometimes when you're eating for performance, especially in a race or getting closer to the race, you have to eat more simple carbohydrates, which may or not be considered, you know, quote healthy for you in the long run. So like, how do you view, you know, eating for performance eating to maintain a certain body mass, but have a healthy relationship with that and also longevity. Really big question. Lots of parts. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Okay. We'll have to break this one down a bit. Yeah, we'll break it down. Um, yeah. It's a big topic. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult to get the balance right because yeah, I am really passionate about nutrition and it does play such an important role just in maintaining health. But I think we also, people have this idea of, of these foods and ways of eating that are, you know, healthy, but what's healthy for a normal person is not necessarily healthy for someone trying to be an athlete because your your demands of what you're doing are totally different and just your energy demands are way higher as an athlete and yeah just from my personal experience like i think i've i've done this as well like trying to eat you know in a traditional healthy way but realizing that you know sometimes when I was doing that, maybe I wasn't fueling enough and I was actually under fueling, but by accident, it wasn't, I thought I was eating a lot and I was full, but really I was eating healthy foods that just weren't high enough in calories and weren't actually, you know, weren't replacing what I was using during my training. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's difficult, but as an athlete, you need to be okay with, yeah, you have to accept that you're going to eat things that people may view as not healthy, but that actually is because it's directly, you know, moving your body and allowing you to perform your training. And it's okay to have, you know, refined carbohydrates and sports drink and products like that and eat things with less fiber sometimes because you have less stomach problems. Like you're, and then you're not you you are meeting then all the needs of your body you're supporting your hormones your yeah <laughs> your physiology by doing this but you need to get around this idea of like yeah athletes what's healthy for an athlete is different than what's healthy for a normal person so that yeah <laughs> answers, yeah. answers a bit of your question yeah i think you articulated that really well like a lot of athletes want to eat quote, clean, you know, like eat less processed foods and things like that. And this is a huge problem that people that are trying to be plant-based athletes have as well is like they, they eat all these foods and then they feel full, but these quote, clean foods, you know, unprocessed foods aren't high enough in calories. So then people don't get enough calories and then they're like, feel bad. And then they, they think that eating healthy foods is bad, or they think that, you know, eating this way, eating a cleaner diet is bad. Yeah. As long as you're getting enough calories to fuel the work, and if you're feeling tired, like, yeah, it's probably like you, whether you eat plant-based, whether you don't eat plant-based, it's like, you just need to eat enough calories. And that's a huge issue for like a lot of people. This, you know, reds is becoming way more mainstream. I've, it seems like everybody's talking about it now. Have you had any experience with that reds? Yeah. And it's, um, it's great how mainstream it is going because it is a, a big topic and, and more people need to know about it and know how to recognize it and how to address it. And yeah, like I kind of mentioned in my, my last answer where I definitely have like reflecting now, I definitely have had periods of, of reds in my, my career as an athlete. And most often that came from these times of just unintentionally not meeting my energy needs. And it really was like, you know, eating these, eating really well and making what I thought were really good choices, but actually becoming, you know, too full and maybe eating too much fiber so that I, I thought it was enough, but yeah, thinking now I'm like, definitely it wasn't. And yeah, with red, you can start to pick up on signs like, yeah, like not recovering well from training. Yeah. For women, like when you, if you lose your period, that's a, that's a sign. Basically your body is, yeah, it's going to, prioritize your survival so it basically starts to shut down different systems which is not what you want and that's not the way to high performance either because you like high performance just rests on you need a base of health to perform your best as an athlete so it is something I've personally I've learned in the past and then now I've gotten much better at, at recognizing like even in bigger training blocks and in races like you know, am I recognizing these signs coming back and trying to address that quickly? Yeah. And I realized I didn't define it. It's relative energy deficiency in sport. That's what red stands for. And people can Google it. There's tons of information out there if you want to learn more. 
you also like are somebody that is passionate about the role nutrition plays in mental health. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, this comes back to is what we were talking about where nutrition is just so linked to your your health in general. It is it's not just important in in sport. Uh, of course, it's just yeah, just the role of of keeping healthy and I think that yeah, there's just so much fascinating research coming out right now and and a huge topic is this link they're finding between people's diet and mental health and I think especially right now it's a huge conversation as a lot of people struggle with with um you know the challenges of the pandemic and all the the changes in in our lives right now so we have this yeah we we have this new knowledge like what you eat really does impact your health and and supports the function of your brain and i think that's just really powerful to think this is a tool that you can nutrition is a tool you can use to directly improve your personal mental health. So it's a very controllable thing that you can improve. And are these specific foods that you're, you've been eating or focusing on? Yeah, I think there's some, some big ones, like vegetables, of course, <laughs> um, <laughs> all leafy greens, I think are say all vegetables, leafy greens, especially. Yeah, getting omega-3s is a big one for brain health. So for non-vegetarians, then things like salmon and, and different seafood are really great. Maybe you have some, yeah, I think nuts and avocado, olive oil, things like that. For Yeah, like if walnuts. You're more, um, you can take a marine-based uh, DHA, EPA supplement as well for omega-3 if you don't want to eat, have an animal product. And there's tons of omega-3s in different animal products as well. Yes, those are some of the main ones. Just trying to get a lot of fruits and vegetables. Yeah, your omega threes. Yeah, so I'm going to change gears here a little bit and talk. Go back to the the bike racing piece. So I want to go back to your first Olympics in Rio. What was the build up to getting selected like for that? Yeah, it was. Um, to reflect back on it, I guess it was it was an intense build up to that year because I made a lot of changes. I guess heading into 2016. So 2015, like I was racing really well, but I, and in contention for one of the spots for Canada, but I still felt like it wasn't, you know, a sure thing that I would be selected to the team. And I, I really had to prove myself that, that I deserved that spot and was one of the strongest in Canada. So that year I, I thought like to improve even more, I really had to go to Europe to race full time. And I wanted to, you know, race the best every weekend. and. I saw that just as the next step I had to take in my career, just also as not just for the Olympics, but also as a bike racer. And so this opportunity came up to sign with Liv Planter, that team. And at the time, it was a really scary decision to make because to change so many things, like six months before the Olympics, it's kind of a big thing for an athlete. And so, you know, I moved to the Netherlands. Um, I had totally new teammates, new team environment, changed everything, a new coach, and then had that spring to have the final qualification for Canada. So at the time, yeah, really scary, but it turned out to be a super good choice for me. So I fit in really well with the team and actually had the, you know, the best spring of my career. And really, the team was able to fill in those gaps and and my knowledge of, you know, just racing in Europe and maybe some things that I missed just being a North American then coming over to a different style of racing. So yeah, I had a, a super good spring and, and then that set me up to get one of those spots to represent Canada in Rio. But at the time it was, yeah, it, it was, it was an intense year. How did you know that that was the right decision? Cause like you said, most people would not have made that choice. Yeah, I didn't know if it was the right decision at the time. But I guess my approach has always been to, I guess I'm always looking to grow and to learn. And so I think that, you know, sometimes you, or a lot of times you you just can't be sure that something, you're not sure if something's the right decision, but you have to give it a chance and just sometimes take a leap of faith and just try it and embrace the opportunity. and. Either it works out super well or, or 
even if it works out less well, like you're still going to learn something from the experience and, and become better in, in some other way. Or maybe it puts you in some a totally new direction. So that's kind of been my approach, like that you just sometimes have to just try things and, and take risks and you're not sure. But yeah, it will help you grow. Yeah, I'm hearing that you're an optimist. Is that a correct <laughs> a, a correct uh, assessment? <laughs> yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> I am an optimist. <laughs> and, you know, fast forward four years now that you have experience under your belt in the Olympics and you have another Olympics just right around the corner here and there is a pandemic, like how has this buildup been <laughs> I mean, it's obviously been different, but how has it been different and how have you, you know, wrestled with some of the challenges? Yeah, it's been quite the year, I'm sure, for, for everyone. Yeah, understatement. Yeah, I mean, it's been a, a crazy buildup to this Olympics. So it's different than Rio um, because I actually knew that I already qualified for the team in 2019 mm-hmm. um, based on my, I had a, a podium at the course and and based on my results that year, I at least already knew that I was guaranteed a spot. So that was that definitely helped my my peace of mind and just knowing I could focus fully on Olympic preparation. But of course, then last year, yeah, then the Olympics were postponed. <laughs> so I had this whole plan, which was then delayed a year with everyone else. And I guess with dealing with that, I tried to so when they were postponed um, at the time, I thought, like, there's no question they, they definitely should have been. And health is is the number one thing above everything else. And it totally made sense. And, and we're in such a fortunate position that they are taking place this year. And yeah, I guess in that year, that extra year, I've tried to use it as an opportunity to work on, on different skills and, and just to be a better bike racer and I tried thinking like how can I have I have a whole other year to prepare so how can I use this to be even better in Tokyo than if we had raced in 2020 and that's that was my my broad approach I guess to approaching Mm -hmm. to this specific example but for sure the I don't know there's a The, the pandemic's been a roller coaster though, of, of adapting and adjusting and, and competing in a, a totally different environment as, as an athlete, for sure. I don't know if you had other you know, questions around that or. Yeah, the ups and downs of not knowing, like there's a lot of uncertainty. Well, there has been so much uncertainty with the pandemic, regardless if you're an athlete or not. But the broader topic of uncertainty is something that we all have to deal with on a regular basis. There's lots of things that we don't know in our lives and we don't know what it's going to turn out to look like and something huge like the Olympics and, you know, going to the Olympics and that type of preparation and riding that roller coaster of uncertainty is really tough. So what advice do you have for people just riding the roller coaster of uncertainty towards whatever it is they're working towards? Yeah, it's a great question. And that is, it's a huge challenge because especially for athletes, I think a lot of us like to plan and (laughs) have a, a specific approach towards events and, and the pandem- pandemic has really forced us to be flexible in that planning and, you know, force us to be adaptable. And these are also great skills to have. Even in normal times, you, you have to be flexible and adaptable because things happen all the time that change your plans. But yeah, with this in particular, I think just focusing on the things that you can control can at least give you some, I guess, structure in your, in your approach to within the uncertainty. So like even, you know, a few months ago, there's still talk, the, the Olympics might not happen, they could be canceled, all of this. And yeah, reading those headlines, it was really hard as an athlete where you're trying to prepare to be your best at the Olympics, but maybe they won't happen. But in my mind, and like, I can still control my own preparation. I can prepare as if they are happening. And if they don't, then that's not something I control. But I can still do my best to prepare my my body and my mind to to compete at the games. Yeah, so that would be be my biggest advice. It's like try to find the the things that you know you you actually can exert control over. Yeah, so it sounds like really focusing on your daily actions to 
be your best on the day. And then for the person that you're trying to become or the athlete you're trying to become in the broader future, but also the near future, because your daily actions are what's happening now and you can't control what's happening in the future. Yeah, totally. And um, as well as trying to, yeah, appreciating like the those daily moments and being more in the now in, in what you're doing. And this is also something I've tried to focus on more this year because yeah, thinking too far ahead in the future is can be scary and and so much uncertainty. But if you can learn to just appreciate where you're at in the moment and and find things that kind of bring you joy in your daily life, then then that can also help a lot. Yeah, gratitude every day. That's mm-hmm. some days it's easier than others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it can be very small things. <laughs> yeah. Um, my last question for you is about, you know, you're involved in Real Fast and Female Cyclist Alliance, and you're really passionate about helping youth, especially women, you know, young females. So what advice do you have for younger female athletes in cycling or not who are like, I want to I want to be like Leah? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, I think that if you do have a a big goal, like you want to be a pro athlete or want to compete at the Olympics or have something like this, then to really break it down into smaller steps and, and focus on that, yeah, that daily process and just thinking every day, how can you be better and get the best out of yourself? And yeah, my approach as well has always been thinking, not just how can I improve myself, but how can I improve those around me and how can I improve the sport as a whole at the same time? So, you know, really like bringing others up while, while striving for personal excellence. So I would love to see more, more young athletes also follow this approach and yeah, bring, bring their teammates up with them. Yeah. Well, you're definitely living that example. (laughs) Thank you. Well, there's so many more things we could talk about, but unfortunately we are out of time Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing great information on not only what it's like to be a professional cyclist, but, you know, mental tools, you've shared like recovery tools and given more information about nutrition. And I think that people are going to get a lot out of this and your perspective, you know, your optimistic perspective focused on gratitude and always looking for opportunity is just so fun and inspiring to hear. Um, Where can people find you? Yeah, uh, you can find me online. I'm most active on Instagram and Twitter. So it's at Leah Kirchman on Instagram and at L underscore Kirch um, on Twitter. Okay, great. Thanks. No, thanks so much for having me. It's been a, a fun chat. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review if you're enjoying the show. And share the show with your friends on social media. It's always really fun to see whenever you guys tag us and the guest always enjoys it too. I'm with you and I'm rooting for you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. 